Welcome to the Lifeway Student Ministry Podcast. I'm Ben Trueblood. Also here is John Paul Basham. Yo! Julie Plunk. Hey, hey! And we look forward to this moment with you every single week. And so we're thankful that you listen and want to specifically say thank you for trusting us to be some part of your development in student ministry each week. We are honored that you would choose to listen to the podcast. If you would leave a rating and review, that sure would be great as well. You can head over to iTunes and leave words and stars. That would be that would be just peachy, as they say. I don't know who they is, but they might say it. Someone does. Someone does. Has, even. <laughs> yeah, maybe not in today's world, <laughs> but it has been said in the past. All right, so today's topic is going to be things that seem great but aren't. I like this topic because there have been many things that I have said, man, this sounds awesome, and it wasn't. And I think to an extent, like this is why some people, uh, I think it's why Shark Tank is an exciting show for me to watch because I like to hear new ideas. Uh, and I like to hear people's opinions of those ideas. And sometimes you're in a situation on Shark Tank where it sounds like a great idea and then you find out it's not. Mr. Wonderful comes out and is like, this is not a great idea. Yeah. It's like hunting in five degrees. You think, <laughs> man, this is going to be awesome. And then after that five degrees sets in for about an hour, you say, this is terrible. I should have never gotten out of my bed. No, just frozen toes and the whole thing. So that's our topic today. And there are, I believe, several things in student ministry that seem really great and that perhaps you might even have thought of in regards to your own student ministry. Um, but when we cut below the layer of what might seem great, we realize that it really isn't. And so the first one um, that I want to kick off our discussion with is what might seem great is targeting the really popular students at schools in your area and driving your strategy to grow your ministry through those popular students. So the idea that might seem great is if I can just get these five or six really popular kids to come, then everybody else is going to come with them. It might seem great, but below the surface, it's really not great. John Paul, what do you think? And I think this is, if this is your number one strategy coming into a student ministry or you're rethinking your student ministry and how am I going to get some new kids in here? If that's your number one strategy, that's going to turn out terribly, is my opinion. And from my own experience. <laughs> <laughs> now you 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 did use a key phrase there. If this is your entire strategy, that's where this might seem like it'll work, but it's really not a healthy approach. Right. Uh and, and but I think this is a nuanced thing. Because really you're you're banking on one person to bring another 25. You know, you're, you're banking on these popular kids that 
often the kids that we target and we say, man, we're going to go get the most popular ones in the school. They're, they're a lot of times the ones that are least interested in what you have going on. And so to expect that they're going to be the rare case of a student that comes in and gets saved and all of a sudden brings a hundred of their friends to your student ministry and they all get saved. And there's this revival that happens in your church. That's the thing like, yeah, pray for that but acknowledge that it's just not normally the case. Like we, we, I freaked out if I had a student come and get saved in the ministry and they brought five of their friends. Right. You know, that all of a sudden, man, they're the ones that you're like, hey, can you do a testimony video for me really quick? <laughs> That's true. So to base your ministry strategy off of solely that, I don't think is being realistic. But if you're saying, uh, I mean, there is truth that those kids are gatekeepers to other large groups of kids. So to say, man, I want to build a relationship with them so that I personally have some opportunity to have access to the friends that they have. So all of a sudden now you're sitting at a new lunch table that you haven't been able to sit at before at school lunches, or you have access to a baseball team you haven't had access to, or a cheerleading squad, or a whatever that you haven't had access to before to offer ministry and to offer encouragement and you know whatever you're able to in that context then that is a very healthy strategy because that's looking for avenues into use this term loosely that's looking for savvy avenues into a people group is what that is yeah that's right and so that's different and in that mm -hmm. way i think it's a great idea I totally yeah. agree. I think there's a way to, I think if you're a student minister who is a leader that produces leaders, and if you approach it that way, then you're able to recognize and affirm those influential students, not necessarily popular, but those that have influence and are leaders in their schools and I think it's wise to empower them and affirm that and push them to lead their students in this way. So I think if you approach it that way, it can be done great. Yeah. I think one of the dangers here is, and why this is something that seems great, but doesn't end up being great, if it is your sole strategy and the thing you're going after, is because many times, and this, I would say, for a lot of years, this was the strategy of many student ministries and still see it from time to time, is that when we think about these one students or two students that could lead to tens and hundreds, most often our minds go to activities, athletics specifically. And when our strategy is solely based on that, we have the potential to leave out large groups of kids in our in our communities or in our student ministries that maybe feel looked past or not valued because they're not the head cheerleader or the quarterback of the football team. That's right. And so I think that's something to consider in this conversation too. Is yeah, look for the influential people. Uh, that's great strategy, but look for them in all of the subcultures that are 
that are in your student ministry. Yeah. What are some other things that seem great, but really aren't? Well, one that we talked about in getting ready for the episode is that thinking that programming is more important than people. And so that's, that's like the, if you build it, they will come kind of mentality. You know, yeah. I'm going to have a show that's big enough and flashy enough to draw students from all around. And, you know, again, all of this is so nuanced and so context specific and where the church has come from, where the church is going, uh, what the people are like around. But the bottom line is you're not going to compete with the concerts that come in town. You know, you're not going to compete with the sports events that that are in town, you're not gonna have a bigger, badder show than what culture is gonna bring about. And so yeah. you have to ask yourself the question, is building huge programming really gonna get you to the end goal of the church? Because huge programming for a concert is to make a lot of money. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so if you're trying to compete with that and you have a different goal, then you're being unwise with how you're pointing your, your resources because your goal is to make a lot of disciples. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, good and well, if you're a student pastor that you don't make a lot of money. So you, I think you just have to go ahead and clarify, like, what's this for and what does this accomplish? And then decide if that is your best use of your time and, and your resources. Yeah. And just flipping the switch instead of building your people on your programming, build your programming on your people. And, oh, you I know, well, you just said that. Oh, yeah. I, just, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think, I'm like, did I get that from something? I don't think I did. But if I did, then um, all credit goes to whoever. But um, <laughs> yeah, like if the basis of your your ministry is pouring into your people and getting to know them. And uh, obviously the gospel is the foundation of everything, but like your people in that program, you're going to know how to, how to plan those events and you'll know what your group is going to enjoy and thrive in. So just flipping that is an easy solution to this problem. Yeah, Julie, that's a great point because that, that speaks to, Hey, I, I'm a leader that knows, my people in this conversation and I'm not just coming in and running the same thing that has always that I've always run but I'm actually fitting what we're doing to the people that we have here and learning them uh which is an awesome approach we we can I mean that's Brian Mills strategy that we that he talked about uh as part of leading his church in the podcast episode we just did with him on changing culture is learning your people and adapting to that uh, I think this too, um, many times when there's a ministry whose programs kind of rank above the people, it happens simultaneously with a leader that's relying on their own personality and skill set, uh, over the top, charismatic kind of leader. Everything is built around that one person uh, because they can control the programming and the programming then rests on their shoulders. And so it creates an environment then where 
two things that might seem great, a charismatic, strong personality leader and really good programs. But when those things come together and that's all that you're relying on, then it's not great. Because when it's just you and everything rests on you, then your growth isn't going to be lasting because it takes your volunteer leaders out of the equation. And we know that students are discipled best in the context of small groups with adult spiritual mentors that can lead and pour into their life. And one person can't do that for everybody. And we know that when we don't share ministry, that we actually rob people of discipleship opportunities of God using them in the talents and gifts and abilities that he's given other people to serve alongside us as leaders. So all of those things kind of roll up together. And John Paul, you've, you've been careful to point out that with both of these first two, it's so nuanced because at the same time, we would all say, if your programming needs to be great, And there's nothing wrong with having a big event where you try to have a bunch of people. Now, here, bunch of people defined to your context, right? But a bigger than normal night, like all of us would say we should be doing those things in student ministry, but to rely on them solely is not a good strategy. Yeah, and that's something that I wanted to make sure that we clarified too, just as a to make sure that we're heard well, we're not saying big programming is bad. And there are people that would say that, that'll just come out and say, you know, got all kinds of lights and everything, you know, this is just, it's not what the church is supposed to be about. That um, We're not saying big programming or even sometimes flashy program. I mean, sometimes that is fun. Hey, show up. Like we went all out for you guys. Um, it's when programming is more important than the people. That's right. That this becomes a problem. So you can have big programming and really be loving and discipling your people well and be doing two things great at the same time. But, but it's prioritizing that program over the people is the problem or, or thinking that this program is the silver bullet and it isn't. Yeah. And the same thing would be true for like, listen, having a big personality and being a charismatic leader and being able to command, so to speak, a room, not bad things in and of themselves. But many times when that is who someone is, the tendency is to lean more heavily into that because it's something that you control. And quite honestly, it's, it's easier to rely on yourself than it is to multiply ministry and rely on others. Yeah. Right up until it's not right. Right up until you burn out and right up until it's, you realize this is the most unhealthy way to lead ministry and (laughs) all of those things begin to crumble or you go to a new place and the ministry crumbles after you leave because it was all based on one person. And I think in any ministry that we are involved in, there, there, there's tension between God's called me here and I want to be here for a really long time. And the moment that I move away, I want the ministry to be more healthy than when I got here by God's grace. 
and that it will continue long after I'm gone. I think another potential negative to, to this point of just taking everything on yourself as a strong charismatic leader is that that doesn't open up the door for you to be fed to. If you're doing that, you're just pouring out 100%. That doesn't allow you any time for you to, you know, be poured into by someone, by your lead pastor, or you're involved in your own uh, small group or mission group or whatever, um, which is going to lend to potential burnout in the future. But you can't do everything yourself. You want to build up leaders. You want your group and your volunteers to know that you trust them enough to do this too and do that well. And then you have to have enough self-awareness to know that you can't do it on your own and you need help and you need board into. Yeah, Julie, that leads in right into one of the other things that we identified here that goes along with what you were talking about is the phrase like, and I think all of us have probably been guilty of thinking this phrase at one point or another. And that's, if it's going to be done right, I just need to do it myself. And I think that speaks exactly to what, to what you're saying. And it's another area that we identified in things that seem great, but really aren't. And I think this idea of if, if it's going to be right, I just need to do it in myself. We kind of spiritualize it and we kind of shadow it by saying, I really want excellence. And so in order to achieve that, I'm the only one that can do that. Or we might even hide it behind a really strong work ethic and say, man, I am, I, I love my calling. I'm blessed to have it. I love where I'm at. I just need to, I'm just going to work, 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 work. But it's because I have a good work ethic because I love my calling. When in the background of that, there really is a motivation that says, if it's going to be done right, I'm the only one that can do it. Or potentially, depending on where you are, if my leaders don't see me doing everything, they may look at me like, man, you know, we don't, we don't need you. You know, if I empower my volunteers to do all these things in ministry, I don't want my leadership to look at me and say, well, what do we need you for? Man, that's good. Like job security. Like I gotta, I gotta show people that I can do all this and I don't want to look like a slacker either. Yeah. When the truth is, if you're showing your senior leadership that you can disciple and raise leaders and empower them for ministry, they're going to think you're one of the greatest assets in the church. Yeah, that's right. So what would you tell, what would you tell somebody, John Paul, that, and I, I don't want to, I kind of want to be careful by saying hide behind excellence and a strong work, work ethic, because I think that comes across as more condescending than I mean it to. Um, so I want to just recognize that and tell you, you and the audience of the podcast, I, my intention is not to be condescending, but just to recognize that strong leaders often fall into that, that mindset and the motivation behind it many times is a righteous motivation, but in the end, it does not fulfill what we want it to become. And so what would you tell a student pastor that is, that is struggling with that? Like I. I'm just out here working hard. What's the big deal? Man, I think, so we have used in a lot of our uh, training events, we've used Eric Geiger's book, Designed to Lead. 
and he uses examples where, you know, patriarchs of the faith um, that God called out to lead the people of Israel in huge ways chose not to bring other people along. And there's a couple of times in Scripture in the Old Testament where it says, and a generation of people after that leader died fell away from the Lord. So I think there is a great weight of responsibility that we should realize as leaders that we have to bring people along and duplicate ourselves in those people to show, man, this calling is serious. And just because I have a calling as a student pastor doesn't mean that you don't have a calling in student ministry. Those people that you're bringing along should be people that feel called to pour into students. And so your job, one of your jobs as a leader is to continue to grow them in that gifting and calling of leading students uh, to a greater and greater degree as they serve with you. So bringing them along, just like Moses brought Aaron along to show him what leadership of the people looked like and to teach them how to do it so that when he was gone, Aaron could step right in and carry on that. Uh, carry that mantle of leadership forward. I think that's something when we neglect that, we neglect part of the call that God has put on our lives as leaders to raise other leaders. That's good. John Paul, what do you think about bean burritos from Taco Bell at 3 a.m. in the middle of a student ministry event? Um, Man, in the moment... I think very highly of them. <laughs> and I have found that in the aftermath, I feel very regretful for, for having eaten them. Yeah. So I would encourage student pastors to use self-restraint and wisdom in planning the event and just not put themselves in the situation to be tempted by a bean Rito or four at two o'clock in the morning. Man, that's something that we have been guilty of. Uh, and you're right. Like there is like, it is good in the moment, but it doesn't end well. The, the crazy thing is too, that it's good in the moment, because if I rolled up to Taco Bell right now, I would not order a bean burrito. The truth is we <laughs> bought bean burritos because they were the cheapest thing on the menu. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was that time when they they were I think they were like 79 cents or something like that yeah so we ordered like 300 of them and then at two o'clock in the morning at a lock-in you're tired you're trying to stay awake we were about to go preach a message and so yeah. it's like yeah I'm gonna load up and go preach you're stressed out because you just caught four kids smoking weed in a tent in the middle of field and had to deal with that in the midst of the event so it's like all the things are coming together to make you want to eat it's just a terrible idea like give them some blueberries man i bet those tent smokers wanted the bean burritos <laughs> the uh here's another one that sounds great but doesn't work out too well uh this was another student ministry staff i was on uh but it was a big announcement night it like hype had been building for weeks. It was like 
and you guys in student ministry, you know how this works. It's hype something, hype something, hype something. This is going to be amazing. And the decision was made to put a net up in the ceiling. And inside the net were McDonald's cheeseburgers in the wrappers. And at the height of hype, we were going to pull the strings on the net. And as an exciting moment, the cheeseburgers were to rain down upon the crowd. <laughs> but who doesn't want to be in a room where cheeseburgers start falling from the sky? Uh, what happened though, was students began to take those cheeseburgers, unwrap them and throw them at the youth pastor <laughs> on the stage, as well as at each other. And it did not go well. Seemed awesome. It was not. That special sauce and lettuce cheese all over the walls. <laughs> That's right. I'm thankful that the decision was made to not go with the Big Mac. <laughs> that would have, been, would have been more of a problem there. I do like, though, the raining down of things from the ceiling. That can be a really epic moment if you pick the right item. Yeah. <clears throat> have what you been, the right item? That's what I was about to ask. One time. What did they do when we were at the old building in chapel one day? What did they release? Bouncy balls? We released a few thousand bouncy balls into, the into the chapel. We poured them over the balcony so that they began to rain down and bounce all over the place. That to a similar result. a head injury. Well, they were the small ones. Yeah. Um, no one was hurt. No, but a similar result. They be, people began throwing them towards the stage. <laughs> okay, so maybe lesson learned. <laughs> yeah. Anything that you can throw with velocity does not need yeah. to drop from the ceiling. You go and drop it to be like cotton balls or something. You. <laughs> cotton balls would be great. Cotton balls, yeah. Not very exciting. Oh, man. So what do you guys think about this one? And I, I think this is, uh, you know, John Paul, so often we've done, we've done a lot of ministry together. And I think there are many times where we come back to conversations and we're like, man, we're really guilty of this. And so I, like, there was some stuff we did that was right too. <laughs> <laughs> but often we learn from other people's mistakes, which I think is a really healthy way to do that. And so I, again, I if you can't do them teach. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, so with this one, um, no one understands my students context like I do. And so all of the content needs to be something we do on our own. Now, John Paul, you and I uh, wrote all of our own curriculum for everything, for small groups, for Wednesdays, for camps, for Disciple Now. We, outside of a rare exception, wrote everything on our own. Um, and we did all of our events on our own, summer camps, Disciple Nows, all of that. And now, having 
I think matured some and having seen what is available, both of us would say we could have saved a lot of time and energy and poured that into other means of doing ministry more effectively than some of the time we spent on making sure all of the content was exactly right for our kids. So we wrote it ourselves now. And that's, and that's the mindset that we used. And I think it served us really well in ministry. We were able to cater what we, the content that we did, but the trade-off was that we weren't able to do other things in ministry. And I think that's where we would, we would land now is that the mindset of I need to customize and do everything myself to tailor it to my students actually takes us away from other more effective means of ministry, like relationships with volunteers, discipleship of more students and that you can do individually and those kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, just speaking for myself, a lot of doing that, uh, uh, for a long time in ministry came down to arrogance. I mean, it really was just like, I, I can write something better than anything I'm going to go get, which wasn't true. If I'm completely honest, I didn't look at a whole lot of things that I could go get. I just assumed I can do better than what I can buy. Yeah. And that is, I mean, unfortunately, that's a struggle that, that I have, overconfidence in myself. <laughs> <laughs> um but I, but I think you also have to look at this. Like, I agree. There are some times that writing your own curriculum allows you to speak very specifically to the people that you're ministering to. And there are times when you need to do that. Yeah, absolutely. But I also think it would be foolish not to consider the fact that you can go get curriculum that speaks to the topics that your people need to learn about. Uh, because Bible study providers are thinking about all those things too. Man, what are all of the, what are all of the major umbrellas? What are all the stops in a discipleship pathway that we feel like student pastors need to consider in small group material? And so to think, man, there's nobody that's written anything out here that would get my students down the road on spiritual disciplines, which I need, I know that they need to learn about is, is just kind of putting your head in the sand. Yeah. Um, and then kind of on the more positive side of this equation is the fact that you need to realize, and this is, I think, some of what you were saying, all of the time that you could get back to do other things in ministry, relationally, discipleship-wise, the personal investment time that you need to be an effective pastor, or maybe it's the time that you need to carve out to re-envision where your ministry is going or to recruit more volunteers so you have capacity to bring in more kids into your ministry, whatever, you fill in the blank with a million things. You need to realize that putting all of that time into creating every bit of content on your own sucks time away from other things that you could be doing. So it's just, I had the same realization with camp. Yeah. We, we ran our own camp and it took the whole year to pull that camp off when we could have just showed up and let Fuge run camp. 
Yeah. And Julie, that's where I was going to go next because Julie, you serve on our camp team and here's what's crazy. Like we have a group of people that work all year to put on, to put on a camp whose heart and desire is to partner with churches. And I think one of the things that, that maybe bridged the gap for me in this is be, is to begin thinking about, okay, this isn't just a camp. I'm the choice isn't, I'm going to go to this other camp or I'm going to create one for myself but begin to think about it in terms of I'm going to go partner with this group of people that also want to minister to me and my students. And that's a very different way to look at it. And Julie, I'd love to hear your thoughts because this is something that you're deeply involved in. Yeah. I mean, of course I have a personal bias of what I think groups should do. Um, (laughs) But I do think, I think youth ministry has evolved so much in the last 10, 20 years that there are, y'all have said this, there are so many things available that weren't available 20 years ago. So long time ago, maybe I probably would have said, yeah, you should probably just do that yourself. Um, But now there's so many, and there's so many different options. It's not a, okay, well, I won't have any interaction with my students if I go to this camp, you know, we work really hard to offer different options. Maybe you're looking for something where you can just hang with your students the whole time and everything else is planned. Or maybe you are looking for something where you do get a say in some things, but the big things are planned. There's so, I mean, there's so many options and it really does, like y'all said, just reiterate it, frees you up to be a relational youth leader, which is so important. And you just simply will not have the time to do that well if you're planning and facilitating every single thing yourself. It's just not possible. And you're going to get burnout too. So maybe if you're already doing that, baby steps, find a couple things that you can take off your plate and utilize that someone else has already produced. If you're really passionate about I don't know, your Bible study or whatever, maybe just do that, but let camp and other things, you know, make steps to go in that direction, I think is so important. I think you're right. And, you know, we are unapologetically a youth ministry resource provider. So, like, of course, we think the things that we do at Lifeway students are going to be really great for you to use. And I hope that at the same time, as as you listen to this podcast over the, the years that we've done it, that you've also been able to see that we speak about student ministry from a position of experience as well, and that we're able to, to have both sides of that, of that conversation. And I think, Julie, your statement of pick which things you continue to have your hands on and which things you're willing to partner with others on is a really good evaluation point or action step from this podcast. Like if you're in the place of student ministry and you're like, I don't know how I can get another thing done. I don't know how I am able to accomplish that. I'm already working 60, 70 to hours a week and I'm not able to do these four things. If you find yourself in that position or even just I'm super stressed, then I think an evaluation of 
the tasks that you're doing and the things that you could farm out to other people is a necessary step to become a healthy leader. It might seem great to develop everything on your own, but it may not really be once you get down to what you're sacrificing in order to, to do those things. So I got one more before we wrap this thing up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Something that may have seemed like a good idea to some, not to me. I felt like this was always a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> but the foam party, what are your thoughts on a foam party? Okay. See, uh, you, you catch me at an interesting time in my life with this topic. <laughs> Are you in the foam right now <laughs> as, we're, as we're podcasting? I am sitting in a plastic room uh, podcasting with foam. No, I, so I think there are, uh, in the past, I'll just say it this way. I have said, man, you're just asking for trouble if you put a bunch of teenagers in a room with a bunch of neck high foam. <laughs> like it's just not, something going to happen. So I, and I have been against it. Uh, in this moment, though, I'm also uh, really involved with the student ministry at our home church and lead staff meetings and coach our guys and all that kind of stuff. And they want to do a foam night coming up. <laughs> um, and and I, so I just let them talk, you know, talk it out and present it. And it's going to be outside, which I think created a necessary buffer from the stuff that could happen uh, because it's more free flowing and you won't get the height. I think that causes problems more up to the shins than the neck. Well, it's yeah, it, we're, it's not, yeah, it's going to be lower to the ground and there will be activities in it besides just dance in the foam, which That's normally the problem is the activities. In it. <laughs> That's right. Uh, organized activities. Um, but man, like the first time I started hearing about student ministries filling up a room with foam and just saying, let's have a dance party. I was like, man, I've done some dumb stuff, but I've never done that. <laughs> no offense if that's something you do. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> I just don't know how it got approved. That's one of those things that I don't think the executive pastor knew about. Right? I hope not. That PO was just right under the limit for uh, <laughs> approval by the XP. I just went ahead and spent it. Do you believe in it? The, the foam? foam party? Yeah. I would no, Absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> now, I think that doing it outdoors is is a great like way to make it fun and safer less concealing happening happening yeah i mean the so the foam party the way it's done like julie you mentioned as we were talking about this in greek life it's a dark room with you know piped in you know dj or whatever music lights going off and there's foam up to the neck and that's on purpose <laughs> you're trying to cover all the parts <laughs> so 
<laughs> when you take it outside and it's up to the shins or the knees, it's a different You can't hide. Thing. It's out yeah. there for everyone to see. You don't have to do the hand check. Yeah. That's correct. Like yeah, the trip home I mean, from the retreat. I feel like any use event where you could ask the question, should we do a hand check? Probably just pass. <laughs> no, that's a great rule. Yes. I, that is a great rule to live by but in your does student. Does it pass the hand check question? That Ask yourself. Yes. That is good. Yeah. And this has been another episode of the LifeWay Student Ministry Podcast. We'll see you next time.